Welcome to the podcast of the Sunday morning worship service of the Heartland Church of the Nazarene. We're a community of faith learning to love God and our neighbors as ourselves. Welcome home. Today's sermon text is from 1 Samuel 3, 1 through 20. The passage will be on the screen for you, or if you like, please turn to 1 Samuel in your Bible. Now the boy Samuel was ministering to the Lord under Eli. The word of the Lord was rare in those days. Visions were not widespread. At that time, Eli, whose eyesight had begun to grow dim so that he could not see, was lying in his room. The lamp of The lamp of God had not yet gone out, and Samuel was lying down in the temple of the Lord where the ark of God was. Then the Lord called, Samuel, Samuel, and he said, Here I am. And he ran to Eli and said, Here I am, for you called me. But he said, I did not call. Lie down again. So he went and lay down. The Lord again called, the Lord called again, Samuel, Samuel. Or Samuel. Samuel caught up and went to Eli and said, Here I am, for you called me. But he said, I did not call my son. Lie down again. Now Samuel did not yet know the Lord, and the word of the Lord had not yet been revealed to him. The Lord called Samuel again a third time, and he got up and went to Eli and said, Here I am, for you called me. Then Eli perceived that the Lord was calling the boy. Then, therefore, Eli said to Samuel, Go. Lie down, and if he calls you, you shall say, Speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. So Samuel went and lay down in his place. Now the Lord came and stood there, calling as before, Samuel, Samuel. And Samuel said, Speak, for your servant is listening. Then the Lord said to Samuel, See, I am about to do something in Israel that will make both ears of anyone who hears of it tingle. On that day, I will fulfill against Eli all that I have spoken concerning his house from beginning to end. For I have told him that I am about to punish his house forever for the iniquity that he knew, because his sons were blaspheming God, and he did not restrain them. Therefore, I swear to the house of Eli that the iniquity of Eli's house shall not be expiated by sacrifice or offering forever. Samuel lay there until morning. Then he opened the doors of the house of the Lord. Samuel was afraid to tell the vision to Eli. But Eli called Samuel and said, Samuel, my son. He said, Here I am. Eli said, What was it that he, that he told you? Do not hide it from me. May God do so to you and more also, if you hide anything from me of all that he told you. So Samuel told him everything and hid nothing from him. Then he said, It is the Lord. Let him do what seems good to him. As Samuel grew up, the Lord was with him, and let none of his words fall to the ground. And all Israel, from Dan to Beersheba, knew that Samuel was a trustworthy prophet of the Lord. The book that bears Samuel's name, there's two of them. There's 1 Samuel and 2 Samuel. And uh, it begins uh, with a man named, uh, what is his name? Elkanah. That's a great name, by the way. Uh, and he's got two wives, and uh, one of them uh, is, is, well, she provides him with several children, and the other, whose name's Hannah, well, she, uh, she's unable to have children, and, and you can imagine that if, uh, if you're in that kind of setup, or obviously none of us has more than one wives, 
um, at a time. Uh, I think I think we could say that, hopefully. Uh, but can you, if you put yourself in that in Hannah's position, and, and you saw your sister wife um, having having lots of children, uh, that might that might bring you some well some sadness and some shame. Uh, pile on top of that, though, that the the culture of the day to to not have any children was well, it, they kind of took it as a as a sign that that God's blessing was not with you. And so this, this disturbs Hannah quite, quite, uh, quite deeply. Now, of course, we've got to say that we don't believe that today. Uh, we know more about what causes uh, infertility and things like that. But the story starts with a, a barren woman. And if, if even maybe the dullest, maybe not, I don't want to insult you, um, most elementary age level, wow, my words are not coming out correctly, um, person might be able to, to look at a story that begins with a barren woman and relate it to other such stories in God's uh, scripture. So, Abraham and Sarah. Sarah was barren. Through Sarah, God does amazing things. Um, even more recently, uh, Zechariah and Elizabeth. She was old and she was barren. She gives birth then to John the Baptist, who, who prepares the way for the Messiah. Uh, it points to the fact that, that all throughout Scripture, God is bringing about life and hope where not all of the proper in- ingredients are. And so we should look at this story, and, and at the very beginning, seeing Hannah as a barren woman, and know that God is about to do something important, something new, and something special. Well, Hannah and, and her family would make pilgrimages to where the uh, it wasn't the temple yet. The temple had been built, but uh, kind of the tent of meeting where God's uh, presence was, where they believed God's presence was. And, and the Ark of the Covenant was situated there in a town called Shiloh. And so every year, this family would make a pilgrimage to Shiloh to offer up sacrifices. Uh, they would go because that's where the high priest was. And, and uh, if you're a person of means, obviously you're able to do that. And, and I think that Hannah and her family were, uh, when they were, they were better, they were doing better than well, I would imagine. Well, Hannah is so distressed that she gets there and she is outside and she is just pouring out her heart to God about her sadness, about the, the deep shame that she bears because of her, her condition. And, and we meet then Eli, the high priest, and he looks at her and he thinks, woman, you're drunk. Right? That, that's what he thinks. And, and, uh, by the way, that's not the last time that, that someone who's praying fervently or, or trying to proclaim God's message gets accused of being drunk. We'll meet that at Pentecost. But anyway, she says, no, I'm not. She's like, I'm not. I'm just, I'm so distressed. I can't have any kids, and I'd very much like to. And uh, she's like, don't kick me out. He doesn't. He prays for her, and she goes on her way. And, and time comes and goes by, and she ends up bearing a child. And she names this child Samuel which means uh, kind of I've asked of the Lord, or the Lord heard me, uh, kind of literally. And it's an appropriate name, right? She pours out her, God, uh, her, her heart and her mind to God about the, the struggle that she has, and God listens and gives her a child. Well, she, she doesn't take this child as, uh, well, as something that, as a gift from God that, that is hers to possess, but she decides and she tells her husband, how many of you have been told by your wife something? Yeah. She tells her husband, this is what we're going to do. And we're going to give Samuel back to God. And so as soon as the child is weaned, they take him to Shiloh to Eli. 
and he lives there in service of God. He, really, he's learning to be, well, someone who is set apart for God in a significant way, and he's going to end up being, uh, he's going to end up being one of Israel's most important persons uh, in the history of their, of their uh, country. Well, she drops him off, and uh, he begins to, to learn and to grow. We're not sure how old he is when our, when our passage begins, but he's old enough to kind of understand what's going on in the temple. Uh, he's an apprentice, if you will, learning what it is that priests do and how to do it and how to minister. And so he's there. Eli, though, we are told, is old. Uh, actually, in before our passage starts, there's a little bit of a narrative where God speaks to Eli about his two sons, Hophni and Phineas, also excellent names. I don't know what happens when you guys aren't going to be pregnant anymore. I'm not going to... It's, it's going to be there forever. Maybe I shouldn't. I don't know. I'm always, if, if you do find yourself pregnant, I am always available to counsel you in names. There is just a treasure trove in the Bible. Anyway, Hophni uh, and Phinehas are, are not, well, they're priests too. They're following in their father's footsteps. In fact, God had promised Eli's family that, well, they, they would be priests for, uh, forever. Uh, so long as they were faithful, anyway. Well, Hophni and Phinehas have not been faithful. In fact, they are scoundrels. But they're kind of more than that. They are, they're abusive and bullies. Really, people bring their sacrifices and Hophni and Phinehas would, would take the best parts of that for themselves to kind of feed their own, their own appetite. They were getting fat, if you will, off of the people's sacrifices. Sacrifices that were meant to be gifts of God to bring about, well, for forgiveness of sins and things like that. Well, uh, God has already told Eli what's going to happen. Uh, And so this passage is kind of a, uh, well, a reassurance of that. Uh, We'll get to that in a second. Well, Samuel and Eli uh, have concluded the day's business, and they have have shut things down. uh, But there's a lamp that's still burning, so it's not super late. But Eli and Samuel are both in bed. They're in, in different places. And all of a sudden, Samuel wakes up, and he hears God saying to him, Samuel, Samuel. Uh, only we don't know, uh, what Samuel doesn't know is that, that this is God, because he's old enough to know what's going on, but he's not quite old enough that, that God, to, to know God's voice just yet. God had not really revealed himself to Samuel. Uh, on top of that, the, the book says that um, the word of the Lord was rare. It was scarce. Uh, that God really hadn't been speaking to his people in, in the ways. And, and perhaps this, haps, this is because of the lack of, of adequate spiritual leadership that Eli is providing the nation. Uh, the misdeeds, perhaps, of Eli's sons, who are, well, who, who, things aren't going to end well for him. Uh, you, one of the things you have to remember is that in this particular time, Israel is in the promised land. They have been there for quite a long time. Um, but they don't have a central king. This is before uh, Saul and King David. And so the, the no centralized kind of government, uh, there was a collection of tribes, and the only real centralized authority are the priests. So Eli is kind of the, the head guy in all of Israel. Uh, so perhaps that's why God has not been speaking like he had to, had through, through uh, the judges, through people like Samson and Gideon. Uh, and you can read all of the, the, the story of the judges. 
Well, Samuel, he hears this voice, and, and he mistakes, mistakes it for Eli. So he hops out of bed, and he runs to where Eli is. And I'm imagining Eli, who's old, and his, his eyesight is failing, we're told. And, and maybe that's physical blindness, and maybe that's kind of a metaphor for spiritual blindness, too. Because, well, uh, he, he's either unwilling or unable to do anything about what his sons are doing. And maybe he can't just see what it is, how bad, how bad their behavior is. Eli's like, hey, I didn't call you. Go back to bed. Samuel goes back to bed. And it happens again. Samuel, Samuel. And Eli, or Samuel hops out of bed and he runs to, to Eli and says, here I am. You called me? And Eli's like, no, no, go back to bed. Any of you who have children or have babysat children, like, you know this story. Like, it's bedtime, and the kid gets out of bed and comes running, I'm thirsty, or I need a Band-Aid because I've been picking out a scab, or, you know, whatever, I'm hungry, I've got to throw up, just, you know, all those kind of routine things. The, my favorite is when they didn't eat their dinner because they didn't like it, and we're good parents, and we say, okay, you can go to bed hungry. Uh, and so they go to bed hungry, and then they wake up in the middle of the night, and they mistake their hunger for nausea. It's just terrible. Not that our kids would ever do that, right? Uh, but you can, I, I can imagine Eli's, uh, his stress at this point, like he's old. Old people are tired. Young people are tired too. But, you know, he's old. And, and so, like, I can just imagine him. He's like, I'm too old to have kids. Why are, why are you afflicting me this way? Go back to bed. And so Samuel goes back to bed. What happens a third time? And he hops out of bed, and finally it dawns on Eli. <sighs> I'm spiritually blind, maybe, right? Uh, this is God speaking to you. And so when, when, when you hear this voice again, I want you to say, Speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. So Samuel goes back to bed, and, uh, and that's what happens the third time. Now the Lord came and stood there calling as before, Samuel, Samuel. And Samuel said, Speak for your Lord, for, for your servant is listening. And God begins to tell him uh, about what he has planned to do with Eli and his children. Uh, I want you to put yourself in, in Samuel's spot at this particular moment. You're young. Uh, you're a kid. God is speaking to you. Uh, it might freak you out just a little bit. Uh, not only that, but like he's telling you about the bad things that are going to happen to your father figure, or your spiritual leader for sure, the leader of really the nation of Israel. And I, I don't know about you, but I think I would be scared because you know, you know in the back of your head that you're going to wake up the next morning and Eli is going to want to know what it is that God has said to you. Well, after, after Samuel hears all that, uh, he goes back to bed, and uh, I can't imagine that he gets much sleep. In, in fact, like the passage says he, he lays there all night until morning, uh, probably trying to understand what has just happened and, and how he's going to break this news to Eli softly. Uh, maybe, maybe he wonders if he can just kind of keep it, keep it out of view. Maybe, maybe Eli won't ask. Maybe Samuel won't have to tell. Well, he wakes up and gets up, and Eli calls to Samuel. And, and Samuel answers the same way as, uh, he answers the same way as he answered God. And he says, here I am. 
I can speak for if I'm listening. Now, now Eli knows that, uh, that Samuel may be reluctant to tell him what God has said. And so Eli encourages Samuel. He's like, now listen, you've got to tell me what's going on, or may whatever God told you is going to happen, happen to you. Like, in, in essence, that's, that's motivating, right? And so Samuel's like, um, God said that what he's going to do is going to cause everybody's ears to tingle. Now, I don't really know what that means. Um, it's not a good tingle, I'm pretty sure. I, I think it means that, that what, what's going to happen to Eli and his family is not going to be great. Uh, it's not going to be pleasant and, and painful. Now, I think we have to stop for a second here and understand that what God is doing, I think it, God is allowing for Eli and his family, Hophni and Phineas, he is allowing the, the consequences of their behavior to come back on them. I think that that's how we have to understand a lot of what, what goes wrong. The punishment that happens in, in the Bible is that we are unfaithful. We do things that, well, that, that serve ourselves and our own appetites more than, they, well, more than they help us to love God or our neighbor. And, and you, know, you know people, and you've experienced this yourself, uh, the, the negative consequences of your choices often come back to bite you often come back to bite you. Anyway, uh, Samuel tells Eli uh, what he said. And even though Eli may be a little spiritually blind, maybe he's, he's old, but he's still a man of faith, and he still believes, and he's trying to serve the Lord. And of all of the outcomes that could have happened at this particular point, uh, these words from, uh, from Eli, I think, should be reassuring. So Samuel told him everything and hid nothing from him. Then he said, this is Eli, it is the Lord, let him do what seems good to him. Uh, if, we were to, if we were to translate this into New Testament talk, this would be, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Or, or it might be Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane saying, uh, not my will, but your will be done uh, in, in the face of his own certain death. Even though Eli has failed as a parent and as a spiritual leader of the nation, well, he still hangs on. He's still faithful. Well, um, that's kind of the end of the story there. We, the, the passage that we read ends with, uh, with a, a brief synopsis of the rest of Samuel's boyhood, uh, that he grows up and, and none of his words fall to the ground, which just basically means that everything that he says ends up well, it ends up being good and right and true. Well, it, it, a couple things. One, through the barrenness and brokenness of, of a woman, God works for life and goodness. Uh, a boy is born who is going to do God's work, not just in the moment with Eli and his brothers delivering that word, but that he is going to go and grow up and become well, the spiritual leader that Israel needs at that time, in that moment. Uh, that he ends up in, in the face of, of danger, in, in the face of retribution, that he speaks truth to those who are in power. Uh, if I were Eli, and, well, I'm glad he, for Samuel's sake, I'm glad he re, uh, responded this way, instead of being like, you are now a threat to my authority and my power. 
And a lot of times when, when we're threatened, we act out and maybe we kind of try to remove the threat. So Samuel is, is courageous and strong. He's faithful. He speaks truth in the midst of power that is abusive. Well, I think when we read this passage, we, we end up maybe concentrating too much on, uh, on Samuel's call. Uh, the fact that he's a little boy doesn't know much. Uh, that in his innocence, he hears God and he says yes to what God has called him to do. In fact, that's probably the angle that your children are talking about right now. Uh, but I wonder, I wonder, I think that's good. I, I want us to, to understand and, and know that God can call our littlest children to do his work in the world. In fact, I think they're, they're probably more open to hearing from God than we are because they're a little bit more know, moldable, tender. Maybe that's a good thing. Uh, but I, I, I think maybe the content of what what God is calling Samuel to do at this particular point is what's important for us. Uh, that he speaks the truth to Eli about his sons uh, who are abusing their power. Uh, they're taking the best port parts of the sacrifices that people bring. I, I wonder, um, I wonder if this passage really is about what we do in the face of like leadership, spiritual leadership specifically that has gone has gone south. Uh, there, there's a lot of people um, in the church, not ours necessarily, Church Universal, who are in the church because it well it has provided them with a really great lifestyle. And they have found a way to manipulate the people who follow them um, for their own personal gain. A lot of times that looks like power. A lot of times that looks like money. A lot of that time that looks like uh, relationships with folks. I think what this passage, well, maybe it asks us to keep a couple of things in mind. I think it asks us, um, it asks us to... Uh, to examine how we lead people in following God. Um, it examines... It, yeah, wow. A couple of questions I think we need to ask. As we lead... Now, this is... I think this is all of us, because we all have kind of leadership positions within the church, certainly within our families. As we lead, we must ask ourselves if we are taking advantage of our positions of power. Uh, we need to ask ourselves, are we using the gifts that people offer to God to satisfy our own appetites? Uh, now, um, I, I'm asking myself that question too, right? And I think we, can, we have a choice when we ask these questions to ourselves. Are, are we like Eli? Are we maybe have failing eyesight where we are unable to see uh, the times and the places that we do that? Similarly, we need to ask these two questions. Oh, this question anyway. As we follow, are we following someone who helps us serve others or are we following someone who leads us to satisfy our own desires? Uh, 
Now, I, I wrote this sermon a couple of weeks ago. That's, that's kind of my process. Um, I kind of write the bare bones ahead of time, and it gives me the week of to really kind of sit in it and, and all those kinds of things. Uh, but I wonder, I wonder if the church, not just our church, but the church in general, uh, that we have a tendency to only want to follow and, and look after those kind of people who have, well, who are able to, to give us the things that we want or are only able to say the things that we want them to say, uh, the good things, uh, that might look away from the way that people misuse power or influence, or, or the ways that, that people use their power for their own benefit ends up being so destructive for others. The second takeaway, I think, is how do we respond to those who exercise failed leadership? By the way, if you ever see that I am doing any of that, like this is where your response comes in. This is where you are, well, anybody even in the church gets to be part of what we might call God's prophetic ministry. Uh, that speaking prophetically isn't like fortune-telling, right? So it's not telling the future, but it is doing exactly what Samuel has done is speak the truth to those who are in power. So, what do we do with a response to those who exercise failed leadership? Are we sensitive enough to recognize failed spiritual leadership? Or are we like Eli, are we blind? Uh, do we have the courage to be truthful in the face of misguided and abusive forms of leadership as Samuel was truthful? As the people of God, we are called at times to act as prophets who speak the truth against leadership both inside and outside the church that takes advantage of people. I, I think that hopefully the, the opportunities to do that within the church are slim. And I, I really hope that the opportunities for that within our church are slim. That we are a people who have, who, well, who are faithful, that who see God and what God is doing in us and, and not say, well, I'm going to do this and I'm going to serve the church because it's good for me personally. But that I'm going to serve the church and I'm going to serve the people of the church and the community because, well, that's what God has called me to do. I, I think we, we have to understand though, that at the same time, uh, I, that you, as part of this church, are able to speak truth in, in whatever ways. Uh, to people outside of the church and inside the church, but, but that not every disagreement is a, well, is an excuse to say you have spa- fair, failed spiritual leadership. But, but the, the filter that we must have, and this is maybe what I'm trying to get at. My, my brain's a little foggy this morning. Uh, the filter that we always need to have when we look at who is leading us and maybe how we're leading and how we're following is, is this person, is this leader, is this structure that we have set up for ourselves, is this helping me to love God and my neighbor as myself? Or is it only telling me what I want to hear? Is it only trying to feed my, well, my, my selfish impulses and appetites? I think, like this is one of the passages from the, the lectionary, which I use, and it's part of the reason I chose it for this week was because it's what the kids are doing. So I don't want you to read too much into this. 
But I think that as we try to be God's people, like there has to be this level of discernment and accountability within all of us. That we are constantly asking of ourselves, of those who are in leadership uh, in our board, of me, of Sam, is this person leading us to love God and our neighbor as ourselves? And, and if not, to say, in a spirit of love and grace, you know, I think you got your priorities wrong. That we might have the, the, the type of relationships where we can say that to one another so that what happens is that we get greater and stronger and more faithful as a church body so that, that we don't leave in our wake a trail of brokenness and destruction. But that through our failures, through our through our transparency with people and, and allowing people to speak truth to us that we might become people who get ever, ever greater, better, more faithful in loving God and loving our neighbor as ourselves. If we place this passage in the season of Epiphany, we are we are learning who God is because of what Jesus has done and, and what Jesus is going to do. We have to look and see that the very root of what Jesus was doing was exercising a spiritual leadership that was everything opposite of Hophni and Phineas. That instead of taking all the very best bits for himself, that Jesus, well, he laid down his life for us. That instead of the power that he could have had as, as the crowds wanted him to have as he walked into Jerusalem for the final time with palm branches and people singing, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. That he didn't use his power as something to satisfy his own selfishness. That he gave it up for the sake of the entire world. That's who Jesus is revealing himself to be. That's who Jesus is revealing God to be. And you and I have a responsibility to each other to speak prophetically, to speak truth, even if the consequences for us in doing so may not be so pleasant. I hope, in my prayer for me, my hope and my prayer for our board, for anybody who exercises any kind of leadership within this church, is that we will not be like Eli and his sons, but that we be more and more like Christ as we filter every decision that we make through loving God and loving others. Let's pray. Dear Lord, this is kind of a tough passage. And I think it asks us uncomfortable things. Uh, help us as we, well, as we sit with this passage a little bit longer that uh, we would take a deep look inside uh, and ask ourselves in our own positions, uh, even in our families, at our work, are we 
Are we using ourselves and what you have given us to exercise power for ourselves to satisfy our own desires? Or are we using what you have given us to serve you and your kingdom, to love you and to love our neighbors as ourselves? Lord, we ask that, that we might, well, we might have eyes to see and discernment to know that, that in the leaders that we choose to follow, in the local church and maybe those, maybe the preachers we watch on TV or whatever, that we may look at their leadership and say, Lord, help me to see whether the words that they are saying, the things that they are suggesting, the, the, what they are calling us to do, help us to see whether that is, well, helping to serve their desires or whether it's helping us to love our neighbor as ourselves and to love you with all that we have. Lord, we thank you for your example, the example that shows us just how we should be, that you are fully God and fully human, that you came to be one of us, to suffer, to, to experience every bit of everything that we have experienced. Uh, that you came face to face with the, the temptations of power to serve yourself, but you didn't give in. But that you prayed at the Garden of Gethsemane, not my will be done, but yours. Lord, help us to discern all of these things. And then we ask, as we always do, that you would give us the strength and the courage to do the things that we need to do either to speak truth to those in power or to recognize our own abuses of power, to repent and to walk in a different direction, the direction of Christ-likeness. pray this in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Thank you for listening to our Sunday morning worship service. For more information about the Heartland Church of the Nazarene, please visit heartlandnaz.org.